dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad I'm a black man in a Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. This episode will deal with the topic that Many of us will deal with and have to deal with in the future. And it could be the near future or the far future. And it's a very sensitive, sensitive topic. And today's guest will provide some insight into the topic. And you will meet her here next, here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant, and I'm driving my car safely and legally communicating on my phone. Minnesota law allows a driver to use their cell phone to make calls, text, listen to music or podcasts, and get directions by voice command or single-touch activation without holding your phone. Violations are very expensive. The National Safety Council reports that cell phone use while driving leads to 1.6 million crashes per year, and nearly 400,000 injuries are caused by texting and driving. Not surprising, since four seconds with your eyes off the road is like driving the length of a football field blindfolded. And research shows that just two seconds increases the risk of an accident up to 24 times. Texting may only take a second, but it can end your life or ruin it forever. Please. Drive safely and stay alive. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to JB's Low Tech Podcast. As I stated in the show opening, we would deal with this topic that uh, most of us will have to deal with in our lifetime um, if we're lucky enough. As my dad would say, all you got to do is keep on living. Uh, and that's aging and some of the things that are uh, go- going on with aging these days. And I wanted to bring on today's guests and uh, have her touch on many different topics of uh, aging. And I'd like to welcome Jen Owenda. Did I pronounce that? Yes, that's right. Jen Owenda. <laughs> okay. Um, so, um, and you're, you're also an author and uh, you work in the field, which is wonderful. Uh, I just have some basic 
questions that I guess a novice would ask. Um, what is uh, dementia? All right. So uh, there, it's definitely not Alzheimer's disease. Okay. A lot of people get that confused. Yes, I was going to um, ask about that too. Yes. Dementia is the actual cognitive decline. It's the actual symptoms of different diseases or conditions, the, um, the confusion. And with some, not all, um, but with some people who have dementia, the severe memory loss, the inability to control behaviors. So it is the actual symptoms of the different diseases or conditions. That's what dementia is. Yeah, I have a uh, supervisor at work, and he just lost his mother uh, to dementia. And um, his dad is showing same signs, so he's getting pretty nervous. We're, we're both in our early 60s, and he's getting a little nervous about it, and I would understand why. So, um, so what is Alzheimer's? So Alzheimer's is um, a disease that causes these different um, problems, these different symptoms and conditions. Um, it's, it's just one of the many things that causes dementia. Parkinson's causes dementia. A severe enough stroke can cause vascular dementia. Um, a traumatic brain injury can cause dementia. Um, severe, um, well, let's just say alcohol abuse and chemical abuse, those things can cause chemically induced dementia. So Alzheimer's disease is just one of maybe several dozen things that causes dementia. Um, yeah, I, that was going to be my next question. So you kind of answered it. So you said um, uh, it could be chemical, it could be um, vascular, vascular or it could be Huntington's or Pick's disease or so many things. What we're seeing right now is younger populations developing dementia. Um, we're seeing frontal temporal dementia. We're seeing, um, you know, ball players. I hate to say this, but those repeated concussions, mm -hmm. um, you know, that are, that are causing other short circuiting going on in the brain. That's basically what dementia is. It's short circuiting in your brain oh. until it stops circuiting at all. Um, is it, um, can it be passed from one generation to the next? Oh boy. So you, yes, that has been shown that it can, but this is the thing we, we, we talk about, oh, I'm predisposed to heart disease or to other things when mostly it's about lifestyle. Okay. If we are sedentary and we eat lots of potato chips, and I hate to say it, but animal products are causing inflammation. All of this mm -hmm. stuff is coming out now uh, that, you know, the inflammation in the brain is, is, it's shortening our lifespans because of the fact that it's causing all these diseases that then in turn cause dementia. So that that's really where it comes down to. If anyone say like with my 
my maternal grandparents. Um, one had Parkinson's um, dementia, another had Alzheimer's dementia. Then on my father's side, one had vascular dementia and the other didn't have any dementia at all, but physically was falling apart, okay? So three out of four of my grandparents had different types of dementia, different diseases that caused dementia. Yes, I am definitely predisposed, but what's gonna make or break whether I'm gonna develop dementia or not is how I'm treating my body right now. Because if I'm eating whole foods and, and things that are going, you know, live food versus processed and dead foods, chemicals and powdered potatoes, right? Um, mm -hmm. if, if I'm eating processed foods, then uh, I'm contributing to disease what we have to do to prevent disease is, I mean, to prevent dementia is to prevent the disease in the first place. And it, it's our, um, you know, standard American diet that is unfortunately got us in a pickle where dementia is expected to increase by over 200% within wow. the next few decades. And, and I'm looking at, you know, the homelessness on the street that is riddled with drugs. And I'm like, okay, all those pills and whatever they're doing out there, maybe mm -hmm. that we're going to see more chemical-induced dementia soon. We can prevent dementia if we take care of our bodies now, if we are eating the right things and exercising. Um, but unfortunately, you know, that brings a different conversation into it. Because if you look at the American Heart Associations and different things like that, they have recipes that have products in it that are known to cause inflammation. Okay. And so, you know, it's like, oh, my God, what do you do? What do you eat? Even physicians, doctors, they will tell you that maybe they got 20 minutes or an hour out of all of their years of medical school. Maybe they got an hour of training on nutrition. Right. So even the physicians don't know about they, they're taught to fix the problems that you have, mm -hmm. not prevent them. Not in this country, at least. Right. So, yeah. So even if you're predisposed, you can right. you can prevent it. So that brings that kind of brings like two or three questions. One, you you mentioned the good old American diet. Do we see this in other countries, or or other countries not as uh, predisposed? Well, that's a. I'm glad you asked that question. There are some locations where the rate of dementia was not as high, but it is now becoming much higher because we got McDonald's and KFC everywhere now, okay? Our, our, <laughs> our lifestyle is around the world, and now we're seeing more obesity and different issues in other countries. So take, take Kenya, for example. My husband is from Kenya. And his father had a stroke that caused vascular dementia. Now, there is no word for dementia in, in Luo or in Swahili, um, at least that my husband could tell me about. He's like, we don't have a word like that, right? And so they had the word for the stroke, but they didn't have that dementia piece. So dementia right. is... There's no Alzheimer's association in Kenya, but I know there is one person whose mother was affected by dementia who is trying to have her own organization out there. You know, so it's 
it even if they had it there, it wasn't as prevalent as it is here, but it is growing in other countries. Okay. The dementia rate is increasing around the world. So what, what, and you, you may not be able to totally describe, but what happens when one is struck with dementia? Oh boy. You know, it, it is so different for every person. Um, I can give you a million different examples. Well, maybe not a million, but definitely right. several thousand. How's that? Okay. Um, you know, with, with, okay, let's just, let's talk about my grandmother. She was, you know, um, not short circuiting, but she kept repeating herself and she started looking for a little yellow wash rag. And we didn't know what does this mean and why she keeps repeating herself. And then the anxiety started mm -hmm. coming about because she's noticing now that she's forgetting at first it was just like, Oh, where did I put my keys? And you know, eventually you find your keys. Right. Right. But then, it, it got to the part where it was not normal aging, not just losing your keys, but now you don't know what keys are for. You think keys are a toothbrush now, right? So right. It, it's different for everyone. The progression is steady, though. It just keeps declining and getting worse. That's what dementia is. It just keeps getting worse. So, um, you know, another person you know, may not be repeating themselves. Maybe they're just unable to focus, unable to make decisions um, and take care of themselves. They're, they're, it, it's so different for everyone, <laughs> especially the disease itself that that person may have. Or that, you know, uh, one guy, he had part of his skull was missing, like the back part. He had um, a brain surgery where a huge chunk, his Music was great on the right side. Everything was fine. Mm -hmm. But the left side of his brain, that speech, trying to find that, um, um, that thing, uh, um, the, um, trying to find the right word to say, right. that is what was affected with him more so, his left temporal lobe. And then his behaviors. He had behaviors, negative behaviors. So that was the frontal lobe right there, those behaviors. But his right temporal lobe, the music, the rhythm, the harmony, all the church songs he grew up with, that was intact. He could still play the piano even. So the speech was the problem for him, but that was a traumatic brain injury. That wasn't Parkinson's where, you know, you see the the, the bit of tremors coming on and the shuffling and the rigidity. And, you know what I mean? It's just, it, it depends on the disease. It depends on the person. And mm -hmm. yeah. And then when I meet them, some people have had a disease for 10 years. And then I meet them towards the end of their disease when they're coming into the assisted living or dementia care facility that I'm managing. So I tend to get them when they're already full on. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's, it's different for everyone. So um, is there a difference from, because as we get older, the, the term forgetfulness and uh, uh, dementia, is there a difference? For Alzheimer's, the forgetfulness happens pretty quickly. Um, the hippocampus in the brain stores your memories mm -hmm. and the long-term memories tend to stay a little 
better. Um, maybe they remember being 30 years old or maybe they remember being five years old and they revert to thinking that they're late for school, okay? Um, so with Alzheimer's, yes, there's a memory issue there. But I've worked with people who had severe strokes and they had dementia. They had no problem with their memory until maybe late, late in the, when they were getting closer to that dying phase. Right. But um, even with the Parkinson's, you know, towards that, Middle point, most of the people that I've worked with who had Parkinson's didn't have a really severe memory loss like the ones who had Alzheimer's. That one, that robbed them of their memories for sure. And now they're petting, you know, fake kitty cats and, and playing with baby dolls again. So they, they're looking for their mom or they think they're raising their children. So those ones, they tend to revert to the past with Alzheimer's. The hippocampus in the brain, that's your memory center. And it, at night, um, basically when you get a good night's sleep, your short-term memories, what you ate today, stuff like that, anything that's important is going to stick once you have a really good night's sleep. That's kind of how it goes, right? But a lot of them are not sleeping at night. And a lot of them, even if they do get a good sleep at night, they still are not getting those new memories solidified in even within five minutes they can eat breakfast right now and then two hours later they don't know that they ate breakfast they don't know they took their meds they don't they don't remember who you are and they don't know why they're here and they're like i want to go home and then you have to be the investigator and figure out where is home is it where you raised your children or is it where you were a child you know so it's different for everyone that memory loss happens mm -hmm. definitely with the alzheimer's not as much with potentially the traumatic brain injury uh what is um and maybe you've already answered this but you gotta remember i'm a novice when it comes to this um what is alzheimer's so alzheimer's is the the plaque buildup and it, it's Okay, so you, you got stuff firing off in there. And if you've mm -hmm. got blockages, it's not going to be firing correctly. So I'm, I'm trying to explain it to where it makes the easiest sense because I'm not a neurologist. Right. I have worked with many, many people who have these different diseases and neurologists who gave me insight on how to write some of my children's books about dementia. Mm -hmm. And so... All the things that I have read and have learned, it's the buildup of the inflammation and the plaque and everything going wrong. It's the brain shrinking and decaying. That's basically what Alzheimer's is. The brain is decaying. Oh, wow. Um, is there, is that hereditary and is there a way to prevent that or is that just? Yes. Okay. I do believe there is because a lot of, a lot of, uh, well, okay, prevent, yes. Okay, an ounce of provision is worth a pound of cure. If you have Alzheimer's, you're not going to, it's not going away. Okay, if you have Parkinson's, it's not going away. Mm -hmm. Not yet, not until science gets further along. Okay, we have no cure for these diseases right now. Once you have dementia, you are just going to then spiral and there's no coming back from that, you know, progressive degeneration of your brain, of your cognition. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Prevent it 
Yes, as much as you can while you're young, especially if you're predisposed to it. But, but you know, a lot of people are worried about Alzheimer's, but they're not thinking about the heart disease as much as they may need to, because if we've got a blockage in our arteries that causes a stroke, then you may develop dementia in that respect too. So it shouldn't just be trying to prevent Alzheimer's. It should be trying to prevent clogged arteries and our lungs from collapsing, right? Because we're dealing with people who have congestive heart failure and assisted livings all the time. Even if they don't have dementia, they can't breathe. They can't breathe, you know, and it's just as bad maybe. I, I don't know what's worse, watching them not be able to breathe or watching this lady who has her anxiety is through the roof. She thinks someone is after her. Everyone's stealing her stuff. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so crying and sundowning overnight hours, can't sleep. I don't know what's better. Well, um, one, of the th- one of the things that I've that we've all seen happen in, with like CTE, which was one of the things you talked about. Uh, especially with uh, athletes in that sport of football, which I worked in for 20 years. So believe me, I, I saw the collisions on the front line. Um, is, um, do, is their depression and the way they seem to act out as they take their lives because they very rarely like take pills, kill themselves. They like shoot themselves in the chest or whatever. But to protect the brain, to uh, have it then studied, to to get the diagnosis of CTE. Um, uh, does does uh, you said that CTE can uh, bring on dementia? Can that also bring on what brings on the depression? Is it is it just the dementia? Is it just the CTE? Or what bring what brings them to a point where they want to kill themselves? All right. Well, so so that's a very big big question, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot involved in that, and I can't answer the entire thing, but I can tell you some of the stuff. Um, when it comes to those repeated concussions. And those constant blows, my son-in-law, he's a football player. Uh, we finally convinced him to stop playing football. But it was too late. The seizures are already happening. And we're talking three, four, five, six, seven seizures at a time, you know, one after another, right? So right. It, it's it, there's a lot more than, you know, the there's more to it than just the the concussions it it's bringing on a lot more problems neurologically cognitively i mean sometimes he can't remember stuff he's he cannot remember and that's my son right it's my son-in-law he's oh my goodness you know it's a scary it's a scary thought six foot five 250 pound linebackers you mm-hmm. know what i mean right coming into assisted living and dementia care facilities with five foot five caregivers mostly female, right? It's, it's, it's a lot to work with. It's a lot to handle. Depression, I, I, I know that all these things contribute to this situation spiraling out of control 
the dementia spiraling out of control. I see residents that'll sit in their room. They don't want to come out of their room. They're hopeless. They're helpless. They're depressed. They feel lonely. And it just makes it worse and worse and worse. Um, unfortunately, um, I've known a person who committed suicide in an assisted living, blew his brains out. It had nothing to do with football or CTE or concussions or anything like that. But yes, there was depression involved. He did not have dementia. Oh. Right. And so mm -hmm. the suicide problem in seniors, you, that that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book, too, because it's they, they work their whole lives. They raise the families. And then in the end, they're thrown away. That's what it seems like to me. That's right. what residents they say things kind of like that to me. If you watch that YouTube video, The Thin Edge of Dignity, that's what that resident is saying in so many words so the depression is very real whether there's dementia or not in seniors i think since there's so much depression in the average population of my age you know 40s 50s in their 20s 30s and even in the kids i think it has a lot more to do with uh, I, I think it has more to do with the chemicals that we're putting in our body, the problems that we're, I mean, well, I mean, there's only so many options you have at the grocery store. If you're not growing your own foods, you know, if you're not eating whole foods, I think that is what's contributing to some of our mental health problems in this country. I don't think it's just the you know cte i think there's something way <laughs> bigger going on yeah we ain't getting the nutrients we're not we're we're falling apart out here it feels like you know what i mean it seems like so and even the the caliber of residents that are coming in right now they're different than the ones that were coming in 15 years ago the the residents coming in now almost all of them have dementia or a severe enough cognitive impairment where it probably could be diagnosed as dementia you know if you go and see the neurologist right but now we have people who are coming in that are bed bound and they've got heart disease and they have chf and they're swollen and they're dehydrated and they're it's there's a lot happening out there so that's what's filtering into assisted livings and they're younger they're not 80 and 90 years old some of these people are in their 60s 50s and they're coming in so anyone who's listening to this podcast, if you haven't looked into private long-term care insurance, you might want to, because that is the only reprieve the people coming in have to pay for five to $10,000 a month for services in the assisted living or dementia care facility. And what was that called again? Private long-term care insurance. And no, I do not sell it. <laughs> and no, I don't get any kickbacks on it. But what I see is it's one, it's expensive. Assisted living is very expensive, but hiring a private in-home caregiver is going to cost you, you know, three times as much as an assisted living for 24 hour care. Mm -hmm. So assisted living is easier, is an easier option if you need 24 hour care. Private long-term care insurance, you have to read the fine print. Some policies will only cover skilled nursing or nursing homes. Um, some policies might have a cap, you know, of a certain dollar amount per day. And I can tell you right now, it's around $220 per day for every one of my residents. That's wow. average 
per day, 220 per day. And that's last, uh, about 10 years ago, it was more like 120, 150 per day. But well, now it's going, it's just going up. Inflation right. is getting worse. Caregivers, we have to pay them more. We were paying them $15 an hour just uh, before the pandemic. And now we have to pay them $20 an hour. So that's a huge increase in cost. So private long-term care insurance, because you don't want to necessarily have to be on Medicaid welfare. Medicare will not pay for assisted living. That's your health care insurance. Medicare is your hospitals and nursing homes and mm -hmm. hospice and stuff. But Medicaid is welfare that subsidizes assisted living if you qualify financially and um, if you need at least two activities of daily living, like bathing and toileting, stuff like that. Uh, I'm going to take a step back here for a second. You had mentioned about uh, uh, senior citizens basically being thrown away by their families. Um, 20, 30 years ago when uh, grandparents were more connected with the family and we were, we were less uh, sedentary country, is, is that one of the reasons why that was less then and it's more now because we're, uh, we're not as connected? We, you know, I guess I'm not explaining it well, but, the, you know, the older yeah. people are not. I, I see some older people who are like at every grandchild's sporting event or recital or this, that, and the other, and they have a very active role in those people's, in their family's life. And also, they also tend to be active more. They walk, they may jog, they may, uh, they may ride a bike or something, but they stay active in some way. So are you saying that those are the type of people who are probably have a better chance not having this terrible life ending? Um, well, I definitely think it's probably more than the 20 years ago. I know that in um, probably the 40s, 50s is probably when things really started to change and people were being born more in hospitals and dying more in hospitals, maybe in the 60s, stuff like that, um, versus now almost, um, I'm sorry, um, before then people were being, you know, were being born at home. They were being, you know, they were passing away in the care of their family back in the earlier 19, or before the mid 1900s. But after that, it's everything is in an institution. You're born in a hospital, you die in a hospital. It's almost like that. We're getting to a point now where more people are starting to um, be able to die in the home because hospice came about in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So, uh, or 60s, 70s, around that time. And it's starting to get to a point where people are starting to understand just because you go on hospice doesn't mean you're dying, doesn't mean you are only going to live for six months. It just means you're going to get extra care and you can stay in your own home while you're receiving that care as long as you have a caregiver taking care of you because hospice can't be there 24 hours a day. All they can do is come in with nurses and CNAs and chaplains and things and help. The situation where seniors are no longer living in um, with their children, it is no longer multi-generational households as much. It's really more of a... There, there's a lot to go into that. 
Some of it is cultural because um, like both of my paternal grandparents, they're black, they stayed at home. It was my aunties and uncles that were taking care of them versus my maternal side that is Scottish and German and they were in assisted living or um, nursing facilities, right? So um, I know a lot of Hispanics are not in my assisted living. I don't have black people in my assisted living. I have mostly Caucasians in my assisted living. So I think part of that has to do with um, a cultural thing, but it also has to do with money. A lot of people can't afford assisted living. Mm -hmm. And so you have to live at, at, at your children's home. They have to take care of you, you know, or don't have that private long-term care insurance or don't know about Medicaid or what, there's so many different dynamics, right? But when people stay at home, they tend to, I, I think as long, you know, I, I worked in in-home care for a few years. And so I would go into the home to check on our clients that had caregivers go in. They were definitely more engaged with the children or grandchildren versus nowadays, I'm sorry, uh, versus assisted living where people have to go in and visit. Right. And rarely, rarely are you going to see a kid every single day. If you live in an assisted living, you're, you're rarely going to see that. The suicide thing, though, this is this is way more bigger. OK, so, of course, there's the depression and things like that. But you also have to realize that suicide also happens in assisted living facilities and in private homes. A lot of people are sitting at home all alone by themselves, waiting for the mailman or watching TV and eating TV dinners and skimping out on medications, taking half portion doses or whatever, because they can't afford, you know, all the little bit of Social Security that they're getting. And so I think there's a lot more to play with the suicide thing. The thrown away isn't necessarily just in assisted livings. Sometimes they're thrown away living in that little house that they're in right now all alone. You know, and they hope a neighbor will come and check on them and say hi. You know, they have nothing. They're nobody. They're bored. You know, and so there's so much more to it when it comes to um, that thrown away factor. You can be thrown away in assisted living, nobody check on you. Or you can be thrown away at home. Or you can be that veteran right there on the street down the road from me. There's all these veterans that are living right there on the street. Even though it gets to 120 degrees in the summertime, mm -hmm. that's what I mean when I say thrown away. Wow. We're not doing for our seniors in general. We're, we're, we, we move away. We have our lives. I'm busy. I got to move to New York and take care of my, 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 new, my baby and my, my wife, right? We, we're leaving our families, and it's not like it was back in the early 1900s where we all stayed together. I think we were probably better off mental health-wise back then, but we were also not eating you know, a lot of French fries back then either. So no. there's more to it. <laughs> there's we're, more to it. <laughs> we're, we're eating a lot more home cooked meals at that point. So, um, I personally have, and I just do it just because it makes me feel better. I've, I've, uh, about 10 years ago, just, or 10, 12 years ago, I started running again and I still run, and um and i you know i i feel it physically makes me feel better mentally it makes me feel better um 
I've always had some connection with young people from the time I used to coach youth sports and high school sports and whatnot. And uh, to this day where I, you know, I have connection with them through social media or whatnot. But, uh, and then my own children, um, which there's no grandchildren yet, but my, my own children and, and um, being a part of their lives. Um, so you brought up some great things. Um, I know that I've been hearing that, um, my generation, I'm, I'm a tell a tale of the end baby boomer and the generation right before me, uh, we're going to be the first generation from my, and maybe I'm getting it backwards we're going to either be the first generation that starts not to live as long as our parents i think it is or we're going to be the last group that <laughs> lives as long as our parents um and is that also because we didn't um our diet wasn't as bad or and uh we were we tend to have been more active because there weren't Video games didn't happen until we were like late teenagers and early 20s where it was, um, you know, at home video games. Whereas now every kid has a system or two or three at home. Um, basically goes Plus from, the iPad, plus rest. the phone, <laughs> plus the tablet. <laughs> uh, we've taken recess out of school a lot of schools, which is sad on many different levels. Um, because I think the brain just needs to every once in a while just needs to be taken out for a ride <laughs> and That's be right. oxygen, oxygenated and, uh, you know, and your other organs and muscles need to be worked out as well. And I, I think it would help with some of the stresses that we see in schools. Um, but, um, I, I didn't know they took recess out of schools. That's pretty sad. Yeah. They, t they took that out of a lot of schools. It, it, you know, it was like, you know, and even in high school, you know, you had gym class, which was, you know. Oh yeah. PE physical P education. Right. I remember. Yeah. And you know, that was a way of keeping the country and fit. You know, and, and developing those habits of, of um, being being about being fit. I mean, up till last summer, I was still playing thirty five and older baseball, which um, was you know get out, get fresh air, uh, run around, exercise. Uh, after a game, you you know you got uh, people you talk with and. Um, you know, you just you, there's still a connection to the community, to uh, to your group and whatnot. So um, we're starting to find that less and less and less in this country, and that's kind of disturbing. Um, do you have any other before we get to your book? Do you have any other thoughts or comments about uh, either one of those topics we discussed? connection when you said that 
it definitely triggered something because that's where we see a lot of the depression when there is no connection. You know, a caregiver will go into a resident's room to provide care and that resident starts talking their ear off and it's like, I have to get to other people. I've got everyone else pushing their button too. Right. Right. But they're not getting that connection. They're not socializing. They're not, um, you know, engaged. And that leads to depression. So that that word connection, I mean, there's your your synapsis right there, the connections in the brain. When there ain't no connections, you got problems, right? And yeah. so that word connection is huge. I'm glad you touched on it. Well, you, you have uh, written a book um, about assistant living. Uh, what's the name? First of all, what's the name of your book? All right. So this uh, most recent book that I am publishing in March, um, so March 2023, mm -hmm. it's called Cold Hearts, Warm Bodies, The Secrets Inside Assisted Living. It is my experience in assisted living, and it is also um, me having interviewed several dozen people and then weaved in about several dozen of their stories into the book. So it's a real life. This is what it's like in assisted living. And you've and you've talked about uh, the expense of um, assistant living. Uh, what are some of the other factors that maybe fine or have to look out for for a good experience or a bad experience once that once that decision has been made? Yeah. So this book, it doesn't tell you um, any particular locations. It doesn't mention any particular places. It does tell you what, what the marketing and the operations and the food services and the activities and the care services, it, it breaks down all of those different parts of the industry, of the senior living industry. So whether it's memory care or independent living or um, dementia care, whether it's assisted living, all of those things are addressed in the book. The differences with um, caregivers and, you know, just lots of stories of experiences that I've had, some of them very funny, some of them very disturbing. Um, even the cover of the book yeah. is disturbing. It was a picture, mm -hmm. a picture, a care, one of my caregivers sent me today is literally my one year anniversary at this location, oh. this dementia care facility I'm managing. Congratu and congratulations. Uh, thank you. <laughs> About two weeks after I started, I got a picture sent to me at around six o'clock in the morning of a resident on the floor um, laying, you know, in filth and feces. And it was appalling. And I'm so tired of seeing this kind of stuff. And people don't even realize that this kind of stuff happens all the time. And the reason why that particular situation occurred, not that she fell off the bed and had feces all over her, but that she was made to lay there all night long is because the caregivers were sleeping on the job. And of course, they are no longer there. Right. But you know, I onboarded a new hire just on Sunday, a new caregiver, and I showed her the cover of the book, and she said, oh, my God, I got to show you something. 
She opened her phone and started showing me pictures that she took of residents at the facility that she's leaving right now, and they were worse than the cover. And so I'm like, this this book is very, very much so needed for everyone to understand the good, the bad, and the ugly of assisted living. It's not bashing any particular locations or anything, but it's talking about how we need to improve and just things like that. So cold hearts, um, I named it cold hearts, warm bodies, because most of the time that's all we're hiring is a warm body. And yeah. we're hoping that we're hoping they have compassion mm-hmm. half the time. They don't even show up on their first day. So it's, it's really hard out there, especially now that the pandemic has made staffing even worse. So cold hearts, warm bodies, the secrets inside assisted living, it'll be available on Amazon in um, mid to late March of 23. Well, it's, um, it's disturbing that people would even take a job in the field and uh, not be willing to show compassion or show interest in the person that they're working with. Um, That's very disturbing. Um, Yeah. Well, a lot of times, you know, third shift caregivers, um, mm -hmm. it's either that they're going to nursing school and trying to better themselves or you know, many, not every time, but many other times they're trying to get paid to sleep. And that's disturbing. But even um, in the day, you know, in the day and the evening, I'm constantly, you know, dealing with caregivers that are hiding in resident rooms or in the med room or, you know, playing on their phones. And it's like, come on, guys, you're here for a job. We're paying you to take care of these residents. So it's challenging, not just for me, but every industry professional that I interviewed. Yeah, that kind of sounds like <laughs> the world. Love, in a way, in the world I work in, I um, order cleaning supplies for a major university on campus, and I go to locations to order the supplies, and um, I run into people who are hiding, <laughs> being lazy, and it's like, well, didn't you know that this was your, this, what your job entailed when you took it? You know? Yeah. You know, yeah, you, you hate it, but you knew you probably were going to hate it because they told you what the details were going to be. And not telling them to, like, love their job, but have respect for the position and for the things that you're supposed to be doing. And that's what it sounds like that uh, you're running into with uh, not being able to find the proper people. Uh, yeah. And you probably, and then when you probably find good ones, you probably lose them um, because of, as you were saying, the the pay uh, scale or. Or working double shifts, shifts and, right. and 16. Oh, yeah. There's that. The book addresses all of that stuff. Well, it also sounded like, and maybe I misunderstood you, that you wrote a book for kids. Yes, I have um, quite a few books that I have published. I wrote ABC, Alzheimer's Book for Children. That's for ages 5 to 10. It is different activity ideas that you can do with your loved one. Um, And I wrote it because when I was an activity director years ago, 
the children would come and they would play off to the side and they didn't have any interaction with um, their grandparent. And so I created these intergenerational programs. But um, ABC, Alzheimer's Book for Children. And then I did another one for the teenagers that has more in-depth information about dementia and different things that cause it. And of course, with different fun things to do. <laughs> so yes, I've done quite a few books though. Mm -hmm. uh, where can um, the listening audience find your books? You can go to my website, jenniferawinda.com. Um, that's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-A-W-I-N-D-A.com, jenniferawinda.com. And then also Amazon. You can go to Amazon and, you know, my books are there as well. Only some of my books are on Amazon. I really do have to get the rest of them uploaded. Um, but, yeah, I also have a YouTube um, page where I do a lot of the dementia trainings, and that's under Jen Awinda, J-E-N-A-W-I-N-D-A. Mm -hmm. And if you go to my website, though, you can just click on some of the YouTube videos, and it'll take you straight there. Well, that's nice to know. Um, as uh, you know, like I said, I just turned 60 last May and um, I'm making that <laughs> making that turn. But I am I am forcing myself to be active. Um, I just went through some very minor rehab. I had an SI joint issue, which was causing me not to run, and I thought my running days were over with. I didn't know what it was, but I just knew it was something, and running was not as fun. And luckily, I have a young doctor who's like, we got to get you back running. What you're describing sounds like an SI joint issue. We're going to send you to rehab. They sent me to rehab. Within three weeks, I was back running again. So it was like... Okay, so, so you got your physical therapy? Yes, and I do. Right. I do it after every. I stretch before every run, and I do the physical therapy after every run. So, good deal. I'm pretty diligent about it, so I'm gonna try my best to keep myself uh, fit and um, stay active as long as I possibly can. So, that's the best thing. Yeah. As long as you keep that blood moving, you know, you'll prevent the clots, right? right. And the edema and all the other, the swelling and mm -hmm. all the other things. Uh, I mean, I was, I was, I guess in some ways I'm lucky. I worked in college athletics for, in some form or fashion for 40 years. So not only did I get tutoring from coaches on how to train the, the body and whatnot, but also, the, you know, very close to sports medicine people who taught me how to take care of my body when something was going on or when to go to the doctor when um, stuff isn't uh, reacting to what therapy I can do myself. And um, just so many, it just sounds like there's, in, in your world also, it sounds like there's so many things that can be done that, that are not being done for for oneself and for other people in our lives. Yeah. Uh, so in closing, uh, and I want to, again, thank you for being on. This has been uh, Jenna Wenda. Um, um, age, uh, what would be your title? Aging specialist or? 
I'm an assisted living Link. facility so, manager, man. uh, dementia practitioner. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not a uh, interesting. I mean, it's it's a very interesting uh, subject. It's not something any of us look forward to, but like I stated earlier, like my dad would say, all you got to do is keep on living, and eventually you're going to start running up to this type of thing. Um, it's also educational for, I guess, people like my age to share with their children to make sure that their children are aware of um, uh, what to look out for for their, you know, for their parent. Is that mm -hmm. um, And I would assume your books help with that also. Oh, most definitely, especially because I'm what's considered um, the sandwich generation where my mother is, you know, at the age of, you know, like right there needing help and then, you know, raising the children as well. So that is, you know, definitely not easy for so many people out there who are, you know, trying to take care of their kids and their parents. Right. And that probably also causes some other stresses that then become um, things that may bring on dementia and or Alzheimer later in life. Like, you know, you're running from your kids to your parents and you barely have time to yourself. And if you're not working out or if you're not eating right, you know, you're always eating on the run and you don't work out and when you get home all you do is sit and watch tv these are probably also causes of what we've been talking about i would assume yeah that stress it's definitely eating people alive but then again so is the food right so to wrap this up what would be the the keys in in your mind to um aging well or aging better? It's definitely the food because, you know, even, you know, a lot of people, they, they struggle to lose weight, but they're still eating the garbage. If you're eating the cheese and the butter and all the animal stuffs, it's not going to help you. You know, um, if you eat pancakes with a bunch of syrup all over it, it's not really going to be helpful for right. you. Um, you know, there's so much that has been debunked regarding, uh, what we've been taught is a healthy way to eat. We've been taught that we have this, we have to go according to this food pyramid, but we didn't realize that the um, the dairy and the certain industries had a part to play in that. You mm -hmm. know, it's, you know, that milk doesn't get body good and calcium and got milk, all of that stuff was, those were marketing tools, but we took it as nutritional guidance. So unfortunately, you know, we're, we're eating a lot of things that are not helping us in any way. Um, that whole food and exercise, you know, is pretty much what is going to stave off the disease. Well, it sounds like the, the food pyramid needs to be reworked or reworded at some point. Um, it is definitely, um, I know for myself personally, I've chosen to cut way back on red meat. Um, I'm eating more fish 
and seafood and careful work. I even buy that, you know, don't buy it breaded, don't buy it pre-cooked, don't, you know, uh, just kind of find recipes to make it myself and but you know what you're saying let, let's let's think about the standard breakfast even in assisted living i have to have a dietitian sign off on meals and they are the ones that are dictating what should be made and we're talking it's it's bacon and eggs and toast mm-hmm. well that refined white flour is not it's bleached flour it's not do if we drink a little teaspoon of bleach every single day even if it doesn't kill you today eventually that accumulation is probably not going to be good right and so that the toast is not a good thing right if it's that refined white enriched correct Right. And then, of course, the bacon, we already know that that is probably the worst thing that we can put in our body, um, at least one of them. And and then, I mean, what was the other? The eggs. OK, so we're talking that we should be eating eggs. And it's, all this information is coming out that all of the stuff that we've been taught to eat that we've grown up eating that was healthy is really not healthy. So that is going to be the biggest part. The biggest part is to break our minds cycle this break broken record that we have to have, you know, beef or chicken or, you know, all these different animals mm-hmm. in our bodies in order to have protein, in order to have calciums, in order to in order in order, right? When it's really it's killing us. And going back to my my dad uh, my father in law, my husband's father in Kenya, now his mom, alive and well, doing fine, but she eats a lot of kale. I mean, she grabs the herbs from her garden. She's growing her own maize and bananas, and, you know, she is very healthy. But his father, he wanted his his beef. Right. He wanted his barbecue and beer, you know. <laughs> and so that contributed to that stroke. So even if you are living in the same household with with someone, two spouses together, one of them might be, you know, adding to disease while the other one could be preventing the disease and you see them aging differently. Well, this has been very, very interesting, but also very sobering. I want to thank you for your time today, Jen. Um, it's been very educational, definitely giving me some things to think about as I, as I stated earlier, now wander into my 60s. And um, give myself some food for thought, as you would say. And um, I appreciate your time. Uh, Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be on your show. Again, where can they uh, get your books? Um, You can go on my website, jenniferowinda.com. And there are links uh, directly to the books from there whether they're on Amazon or through a different printing company, if you're um, looking for a different book other than the one that's uh, coming out next month, Cold Hearts, Warm Bodies. Well, again, this has been Jennifer Awenda here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant, and I'm driving my car safely and legally communicating on my phone. Minnesota law allows a driver to use their cell phone to make calls, text, listen to music or podcasts, and get directions by voice command or single-touch activation without holding your phone. Violations are very expensive. 
The National Safety Council reports that cell phone use while driving leads to 1.6 million crashes per year, and nearly 400,000 injuries are caused by texting and driving. Not surprising, since four seconds with your eyes off the road is like driving the length of a football field blindfolded. And research shows that just two seconds increases the risk of an accident up to 24 times. Texting may only take a second, but it can end your life or ruin it forever. Please drive safely and stay alive. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Well, it's a very sobering topic. Like I said, I'm in my 60s now, so and my siblings are in their 60s and 70s. The whole thing of the aging process and what effects it has on everyday life, on your family's life, future family's life, it gives a lot of gives one to have a lot of th- think about. As usual, I want to thank you for listening. Tell a friend. Like I've always said, I'm lo- I'm listed on Podbean and Apple Podcasts and other outlets here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB is my name, and f-ing up motherfuckers is my game. Right on. Negro, black, African-American, black, black, black. Django, J. B. Damn, Dolomite. Great card in heaven, you know. J. B. Our great Negro sex machine.